I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, freshly back from Branson. Kind of a headache. Bionic. Yeah, well, thank you for the uh, travel log there, yeah. buddy, uh, in your middle name. You could have been a little more creative for our guest this Sorry, week. Sorry, man. What can Be- I say? Because this week we have Tom a... Wittenberg Bionic. Well, uh, let's uh, slightly more imaginative. <laughs> Uh, this week, we have a classic future quake coming for our Futurians. Uh, over the years of our shows, we've had many fascinating guests, but we're going to have someone who, who I really had in mind uh, when thinking of the concept of the Future Quake show. This week, we have television host, syndicated columnist, author, religious commentator, bon vivant, and drive-in fetishist, John Bloom, a.k.a. Joe Bob Briggs. And he's going to be talking with us about the need for village idiots and free thinkers in the church. And, Mr. Bloom, I want to welcome you for your inaugural voyage on the Future Quake Show. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm ready for anything. Well, I can detect the fear in your voice here. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, we, we always thought we were the only ones at the Wittenberg door. Um, you know, and for years they were. Right. So. Well, we're too misfit for the Wittenberg door, but we'll be talking about them here in a minute. For our listeners who are not aware, uh, that'll, that'll raise quite an eyebrow some of our older listeners there. Uh, after today, you know, you're going to be able to say that you're truly experienced in a Jimi Hendrix kind of way when people ask you about your visit to Future Quake. You know, actually, you're just the kind of guy, like I mentioned, uh, that I had in mind for Future Quake because this is a forum for free thinking and brave and sometimes dangerous people. Uh, from whom the public uh, often doesn't hear the unique insights on following Christ. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to do a quick bio on you because you have been a public centerpiece in just about every form of media, and we're going to cover a number of those aspects tonight. But to begin our discussion, uh, John, could you share with us a brief bit about your upbringing in terms of how it influenced your religious perspective and and what you felt you wanted to do with your life based upon this upbringing? Oh, well... You know, I can't say that my religious upbringing had much to do where I, with where I ended up religiously because I was Southern Baptist, like almost uh, just about everybody else I knew. We we moved around little towns in Texas and Arkansas. Uh, there was only, you know, I mean, people people don't believe me today when I say that that their that families would get broken apart because a Baptist married a Methodist. I mean, right. that's about as much spectrum as they mm-hmm. had in the religious communities that I grew up in, little towns, you know. Probably led but, them into uh, dancing. Yeah, I mean, and then Cumberland Presbyterians, of course. They were they, they had, uh, you know, um, um, uh, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. You would have a few. Uh, you uh, if If you had a Catholic church in the West Texas towns, it was just for the migrant workers. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, I, I grew up um, in, a, um, uh, in the Baptist church, hated it, um, uh, didn't, uh, I, I walked the aisle to make my mother happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Probably the first person who's done that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
had the total immersion baptism. I was scared to death, you know. <laughs> like, I don't trust this guy to, to, uh, to, uh, dunk me. Um, and, um, I was, uh, I, I was, um, had a, had a couple, of, I had one Sunday school teacher that had an influence on me. He was, a FBI agent. And uh, I just liked him because sometimes he'd bring his gun to Sunday school class and <laughs> get to look at it. Wow. But, he he uh, could tour these days, be, be an <laughs> yeah. evangelical leader with that kind of pitch. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I, was, uh, I pretty much uh, was away from the church um, for um, quite a few years, all the time that I went, uh, that I was in college and then started a career and um and uh then uh came back to the church uh that was uh oh uh sprites the dates start to go don't they <laughs> um early thirties I was in my early thirties when uh I had what I think is would be called a real conversion so um and uh so uh that's my uh, I gave my. I don't like to give my actual testimony, because I, I, cause when I first converted, or when I first believed, I gave my testimony two or three times when people would ask me to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's a thing that, you know, I don't like the tradition of it, to tell you the truth, because everybody's experience is different. Mm-hmm. And when you and when you when you tell specific things about what you think in your own mind made you first believe, first of all, it's probably wrong, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 it's certainly too simple-minded to explain what happened to you, and uh, and uh, young people, especially when you talk to young people, they think, oh, it doesn't match up with their experience, and they worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't like it. I don't like the uh, I don't like the tradition of giving your testimony. It's supposed to be inspirational and everything, and um, mine was w- just weird enough to confuse people. So I didn't. <laughs> I stopped. I stopped telling the actual story. You know the way mm-hmm. you do in in uh, in uh, uh, you know when everyone stands up mm-hmm. and tells their story. But anyway, it was. And then I had experiences where I would go to the. I would go, I remember I went to this church one time and, and, uh, uh, talked for a while and the kids all laughed and, um, and as I was leaving, the associate pastor said, you know, that was great the way you surprised them because they didn't think they were going to talk about God and then you talked about God. You should always do that. You should trick them. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> I was, right. I was like, "Yeah, well, that's what that's what I came here to demonstrate, uh, and I'm going to deceive the youth." Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just if you'd be successful, just if you'd be successful. In fact, uh, I would recommend that you brush up on your testimony some more if you ever think of political office, because those testimonies serve you well for political points, which is really what they're for now, you know. And uh, also I'd suggest embellishing a little bit if you get a chance. We need to hear right. about some more drug right. recovery and whatever else you can throw in there as well, too, you know. Uh, we right. we got to get some bottom-of-the-barrel stories for you to get out, you know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. 
I want to ask you, and I'm so glad you said that. But by the way, do, are you, do you uh, have all sorts of Christian uh, media groups clamor to get you uh, on their particular shows after what they know of your career? No, no. I mean, uh, we, you know, the, the only Christian media that I've uh, had to do with is the Wittenberg Door, mm-hmm. um, which I have. Uh, I have contributed articles to them for many, many years. Um, and then uh, once it was almost dead, once the magazine was almost dead, <laughs> uh, they made me editor. So, <laughs> so, so you presided uh, over the funeral, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, no, the, the Wittenberg door is on hiatus. Yeah. Um, and people ask me all the time, when are you going to revive it? When are you going to revive it? When are you going to revive it? Well, it had some it had some serious problems that we couldn't solve without uh, some major funding, and so I said it's better to recognize the truth of what of where it is right now, which is on hiatus. It's not it's not publishing, uh, and so. Uh, so I'm the editor of an on-hiatus publication right now. Well, c- congratulations for that. <laughs> uh, so I'm surprised that uh, CBN or TVN or any of these groups haven't, haven't you know, pushed you for in-depth analysis, you know, if they're familiar with your career, uh, of your Christian walk. Uh, you know, you're best known for your alter ego, Joe Bob Briggs, and I know a lot of our listeners, uh, both young and old, are familiar with that, where you basically caricature somebody like me and the people I grew up with. Uh, growing up uh, outskirts of Louisville, Kentucky, uh, your syndicated newspaper columns and your television programs on the Movie Channel, and of course Monster Vision, uh, both shows of which you hosted, uh, all glorified America's contribution to world culture, which is the drive-in movie, of course. What possessed you to take on that persona, and beyond its utility in, in collecting ample, what I call greens for your genes, it was lucrative for you in your Joe Bob Briggs persona. Why did you choose to devote a significant part of your life to to this particular pursuit? Well, um, I, I would say um, from from the age of about thirteen or fourteen years old, I was a, a, a I've been a professional writer. I, I, back in the days when they had a the apprentice system at newspapers, I was a copy boy apprentice. Okay. And and they know they uh, that meant that you write every day. That wasn't just copy boy stuff. That was uh, everybody that worked at the paper, and it was the, the Arkansas Democrat, Little Rock, Arkansas. And so you would you were you were expected to write from the first day you went to work. And so uh, I was in that sort of tradition, that journalism tradition that doesn't exist anymore of the noisy, noisy and smoky newsroom. Hmm. Everyone smoked in the newsroom right. at that time. Um, and um, uh, uh, years later, when I invented uh, Joe Bob Briggs, it was just an attempt to uh, create. It, it was a throwback to the. Um, Tradition of uh, uh, journalists that I admire, like Ambrose Bierce and uh, Mark Twain, who always had a number of names that they wrote under, or at least one other one. And so um, I created this character to deal with a certain type of movie that at the time 
was not reviewed at all by the mainstream media. And I called it the drive-in movie. And everyone knew what I meant when I said that, because at the time, the, the drive-in movie was a movie that you didn't want to tell your mother you were going to watch. Sure. It was a disreputable uh, film, and they, they weren't even screened for critics, and they were certainly never reviewed by newspapers. So I, I created Joe Bob Briggs as a populist uh, film critic. And then from being a populist film critic, uh, you know, d- developed other... Um, Opinions and attitudes, and you know, it just grew. It just grew organically uh, from the fan mail and from the uh, just trying to do comedy um, in the paper. It became and, a phenom- uh, it became a phenomenon, didn't it? Yeah, well, it just grew. It, it, it just kind of grew naturally. I mean, I, I knew that I was. Uh, uh, playing with fire because I was going to make fun of every single thing that I could think of to make fun of. And that was a particularly sensitive time and, uh, early eighties. And, um, I, I kind of conspired with the entertainment editor. We had this, uh, section that came out on Friday. This was at the, the, um, Dallas Times Herald. Um, they had a section that came out on Friday that was one of those Friday entertainment uh, tabloids that uh, tucks into the paper, and it was full of discount furniture ads, and it was real greasy, and the print ink would come off on your fingers. And and so I knew that if we stuck it back on page 30 of the uh, of the Friday supplement, no editor at the paper would ever see it uh-huh. or think about it. Ingenious. And, so the, and by the time we got... Um, noticed it would already be popular enough that we could keep it. And that's exactly what happened. Um, no top editor at the paper. Editors never read their own paper. And, uh, they just, they didn't, they didn't have any idea of what it, of what was going on for about three months. And then by then it was already popular and so we were able to keep it. Hmm. And it was always controversial and it was always, it always, it inspired actual protests. I mean, actual, you know, every every interest group you can imagine, from PETA to uh, National Organization for Women to um, Baptist Church. There was a particular Baptist preacher in Tyler, Texas, who attacked me regularly. Uh, Donald Wildman attacked me. Um, there were all kinds of uh, different issues that came up because of those columns and um, it was uh, some people perceived it as liberal and some people perceived it as conservative which I really liked because mm-hmm. what it was was just satirical right. and um, uh, somebody asked me one time what was my definition of that my definition of satire is that you put a machine gun on a swivel and you hit this target and that target and this target and that target and about one in twenty targets will scream, and so you hit them twenty more times, and that's how you discover the uh, sacred cow and how you destroy it. And so that's exactly what I did with the column. And so it was, it was bound to attract controversy because I only because as soon as I found a sore spot, which somebody complaining about anything. And that's what I hit week after week after week after week. 
One of the best things that ever happened to me is when the National Organization for Women decided to make me into a cause, mm-hmm. and which <laughs> tried to get me fired every week. So um, that's what it was. I mean, it's a little <laughs> different atmosphere today. I'm not sure you could do it today. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, forces of political correctness might run you out of town. I mean, you would eventually hit one that, that would kill you. And um, You know, since you had uh, this persona most of your adult life, uh, during some period of that time, you got more interested in your Christian walk. Did that cause you any kind of internal issues with how the reputation and the content of Joe Bob Briggs versus John Bloom and his Christian pursuit? No, I mean, a lot of people have asked me that over the years, yeah. and so it's it's made me think about it. Uh, but it, if they didn't ask me about it, I don't think I would think about it because I don't, I don't, I never put the name of God on on Joe Bob Briggs, and uh, I try not to put the name of God on the uh, uh, ventures that I do because mm-hmm. I've learned by painful experience that if you do that, God zaps you. Right. <laughs> he hates that, <laughs> you know. And so um, I always looked at it as, you know, you know, uh, what I do and not what I what what I am or you know, try to claim any any higher purpose for it than what it originally was and what it continues to be. Right. And um, so. Um, well, I mean, I, know, I, 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 I recognize. Any... Yeah, I recognize it as a persona that you were able to use to very deceptively put forth a lot of very intellectual thoughts, just disguised behind the motif of you know, a good old boy persona. But you were actually covering indirectly, even through the context of your driving movies, some pretty heady concepts, weren't you? Weren't you sneaking those in now and then? Uh, there were really three parts of the column. It was uh, the first half. It was supposedly the movie reviews every week, drive-in movie reviews. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would take about 600 words to get around to talking about the movie. And <laughs> so that... That 600 words would be about anything from international economics to the president to um, Playboy magazine to uh, uh, and and of course it, it occasionally it, it actually pretty often touched on religious topics. Uh, I remember when Last Temptation of Christ came out. Um, that was a huge. Um, um, controversy, and uh, there were many people trying to get it banned. Of course, all this is happening in Dallas, where they try to get stuff banned all the time. And uh, uh, and so, you know, Joe Bob would be right in the thick of the, uh, of the fight. Mm-hmm. But um, well, that was always just good for comedy. Your pulpit was certainly so much bigger than overwhelming majority of all the pastors we had in our in our country. It's just interesting how you found that to be a forum to put in a lot of your thoughts through that persona. And speaking of drive-in movies, this is something that's near and dear to my heart too. What do you think is the value of the drive-in movie culture and philosophy to society? And what are a few of your favorites and why? Well, the the drive-in movie culture is many things over the past uh, however many years it's been now. Um, you know, originally uh, drive-ins were everyone loves the drive-in. It's the ultimate 
symbol of Americana. Mm-hmm. It's where the, it was all the drive-in was always on the outskirts of town, where the country people would come in from the countryside, and the city people would go out from the center of the city. And it was always a more social place than anything else. The movie mm-hmm. almost didn't matter, and um, was um, so all people have fond memories of it. They also have the uh, the sense that it's a it's a vanished America that they would like to recover, uh, sort of like Route 66 and things like this. You know, that are that are uh, um, a more uh, innocent but also a more prosperous time, a more uh, where leisure activities were uh, more family oriented than. You know, so so people have warm, fuzzy feelings about the drive-in, but the drive-in also has this dark side. <laughs> it was always the place where teenagers went to have sex, <laughs> and from a very early age, you you have articles from the early fifties mm-hmm. where our drive-in owners are saying, "Yes, yes, I know it used to be a passion pit, but now it's a family entertainment center." Mm-hmm. And then you can find an article 40 years later, same drive-in, third generation of that of that owner saying, yes, 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 it used to be a passion pit, but now it's a family entertainment mm-hmm. center. Yeah. They even use the same technology, the same terminology. And so it's always been a place where young people with no place to go, uh, go to make out and have sex. And so there's that aspect to it. Or at least, do, at least the, neck a little bit. Yeah. And then there's the fact that, um, uh, during the, um, uh, when, um, when the movie industry took a downturn in the 70s and multiplexes became the rage all over the country, drive-ins almost went out of business. And so many of them, in order to stay in business, uh, went to pornography, went to Mm X-rated. And, um, uh, you know, people, (laughs) you know, people think pornographers invaded their town. No, it was the same dentist that owned the drive-in before, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in 1968. It was the same guy. He was just trying to stay in business. And, um... So they had this period where it was really sleazy, and then uh, uh, for most of its life, though, the drive-in was the place that the R-rated, slightly disreputable movie played, or what I call the three Bs, blood, breasts, and beads. Mm-hmm. And so uh, right. that was um, the uh, Roger Corman-type movies, uh, the, uh, the monster movies, um, uh, horror movies, um, the uh, the teen sex comedy in a teen sex comedy there is no sex, <laughs> but right. it's called a teen sex comedy because it's like it's it's teen guys trying to trying to have sex. Well, and, William um, William Castle would have loved that because he could have teased everybody with all that, just like he used to do with Vincent Price movies. Only he'd had another tool had he been able to at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, so it, uh, uh, the drive-in was always a place where you had the movie that uh, young people went to watch, and you know that their parents might not quite 
approve of. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so uh, my columns were kind of a celebration of that culture. And then later when I was on TV, we were also celebrating that culture. And at the time, I was the only guy, I was one of the only guys. Uh, John Waters was writing, he wrote a book about that culture and some other people had written about it. But the only person writing about it week in, week out was me. Mm-hmm. Now there's like thousands of people <laughs> writing right. about it on the internet. That the world of uh, the exploitation film, the genre film, whatever you want to call it, um, it's almost a. Uh, there's so many people that write about it. It's almost mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and oddly enough, um, you know the people now who feel like the '80s were really, really cool are not the same people who were watching those movies in the 80s, much less the same people who were watching those movies in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these movies were um, um, made for sort of the, you know, what they call the, the raincoat crowd or the disreputable audience. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, those are not the same people who celebrated as a cult phenomenon you know, 40 mm-hmm. years later. <laughs> well, if I can make a so, comment on, on why it's always been significant to me, and by the way, we, we have one that still operates just across the Tennessee line in Kentucky, and, it, and the the atmosphere is much like what you said, although now they, like the few that are remaining, have gone particularly to kid-oriented movies uh, where somebody can pick yeah, we're a car back, load from you know, one. It's, it's a good thing we're back to the 1950s now yeah, uh, with right. drugs. Right. Um, but, but, I was just uh, I was just at the transit drive-in outside of Buffalo for the Fourth of July weekend. And there were forty-one hundred, let's see, eleven hundred cars, four thousand people. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it was just thriving, thriving, right. and everyone had their kids there. Well, uh, you know the. The real golden age that I remember, I have a brother 12 years older than me. He graduated in 1970, and he really was of that classic drive-in culture uh, of the late 60s, early 70s. And I can remember him going for the triple feature at the Preston Drive-In at Louisville. And I can remember one particular night he came home, and I would always get up out of bed, like just a tiny little tyke, and I would get a debrief on the scary movies that he saw. Uh, I'd get up, well, you know, the folks were asleep, you know. And I remember him coming home as a as an older teenager telling me about a movie he saw that he'd never seen anything like. It was called Night of the Living Dead. And I remember him describing it in detail. And, and I never forgot the details of how he described this movie. It was so shocking. It was so offbeat and different and just the structure of the story as well as the contents from what I was used to. And, of course, the uh, the police came and confiscated the reels of the movie shortly afterwards. It was a big thing in the papers. They came and because it was so scandalous, the movie, and because of the, the extreme fear factor of it. Of course, now it's very tame. But it was gone, and it wasn't until I was 12 years old when they had some mo- midnight movie revival that I was able to actually experience what he had. It was almost like a, a rite of passage uh, to, to see it. But uh, you know, I have always enjoyed the, the, the drive-in movies be, for, for several reasons. I, uh, the movies that I see today in Hollywood are sort of like the chicken, what chicken McNuggets are. They all fit in an exact template. They're exactly predictable. 
And I, for one, I would much rather see bad makeup in rubber suits over CGI. And, you know, I really judge a movie by how much uh, grain there is in the film, you know, when you're watching it and pops in the audio. And uh, I would much rather see bad acting than I would boring acting. And that's why yeah. I really miss movies of the late 60s, early 70s, because they did not have that, that cookie-cutter three-act formula that's required for Hollywood to film movies today where I can actually recite what's going to happen in my sleep. And it's just yeah. really it's, it's, it's really just a business message that's dressed up in a little bit of, uh, of drama. Uh, but, but these particular independent movies, most of the people that I think of in this era were made by people who just barely were able to finance the movie to make it and, and to keep from a mutiny from the crew. I had a lot of volunteer people to do it. Cast members sometimes holding the, the boom mics. And uh, having made three feature-length movies myself, and in fact, my first movie I did, Nightmare on Neptune, uh, I have a letter in my secu- uh, safety deposit box down here from Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, this was back in the late 80s. You had sent me a letter asking to review Nightmare on Neptune. Huh. And, uh, and in fact, I ended up getting a, a little contract with NBC. Uh, they did a special on a show they had called Eyewitness Video, which was the first show to really focus on the video revolution uh, to air Nightmare on Neptune. But I really saw such a charm to that culture, and I just really wish that we could see it back. And the, the daring nature I liked, it was not so much how they pushed the boundaries of, of gore or, or, or other kind of things, but they pushed the boundaries of what to expect in a movie. And, and in some right. ways, the more illogical the movie, the better I enjoy it. In fact, we've, uh, um, we, we, we've been watching Ultraman to deprogram after the show every week. Japanese serial from the 60s, which we enjoy because of its total lack of uh, common sense from the yeah. characters that, that sneak used... up on them, which means fire all the missiles at once yeah. and shoot them in the head. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, the, the movies from that era, you really didn't know what to expect. Am I, am I sort of getting close to, to what really is the nature of the charm of movies that have been type, typified that way? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, especially the movies that were made in the. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the man I admire the most who, who made movies that would have their premieres at drive-ins is uh, Roger Corman. He made his first movie in 19, I want to say 1954, um, but he, uh, he he probably made uh, 700 movies in his career. He's still making movies, but mm-hmm. um, uh, but he he. he that that type of movie was always the, the the movie that Hollywood didn't want to make. It had some element that was um, disreputable, and in the fifties that could be something as simple as um, um, hot rodders, you know. <laughs> so, well, in fact, most people know uh, the Vin Diesel Fast and the Furious. Most people don't know that that's a remake of a Roger Corman film from the late fifties called The Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, the uh, um, uh, the horror films, the Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe films, um, um, uh, Roger Corman made all of those. Um, uh, these these films would, and, and of course you mentioned Night of the Living Dead. Anytime we've ever run a poll of what's the greatest drive-in movie in history, Night of the Living Dead always wins. 
and uh, that was a that was a typical story of, a, of an indie film in the '60s, which was George Romero, that director, was a commercial film director in Pittsburgh, and he made um, uh, industrial films and local commercials and. Uh, that was his first feature, and there were a lot of other guys like him around the country who, when they looked to see what can I make that's, that's, uh, commercial and within my budget range, they would end up in the, in horror. They would mm-hmm. end up with horror, you know. Uh, same thing was true of, um, of, uh, Toby Hooper in Texas. He made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After making a series of uh, documentaries for uh, PBS, uh, you know, so uh, you know because it was his, uh, he wanted to get into feature films. He made one failed feature film before that, but he, he was basically a, a, a commercial director for for hire, and um, that was his big um, uh, breakthrough. And that's that's usually number two on the all-time greatest mm-hmm. driving move list is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, but I, I always think I, I think it ought to be number one simply because it was virtually banned for 30 years, so you couldn't show it on right. cable TV. Uh, I've never seen a movie or heard of a movie that was more despised, and it, it, it used to be used as an example in. You know, whenever a congressman would stand up and make a speech about censorship, he would always say, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That would be his example of the ultimate uh, deg- degradation in, 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 in American culture, you know. So, um, you know, this gets me thinking, though, uh, Brother John, is that I don't know what it is that appeals to me. In fact, uh, Mrs. Future asked me why sometimes I like some, some things like that. And I tell her, I say, that that's where the freest thinking people go to make their movies. Is they start out there that have the freshest thoughts and want to get out of the system and what's going on. And a lot of it's junk, but you'll find a gold nugget or two now and then. And it seems to me that the Christian community, or at least s- some some crazy elements, people like uh, us and you, um, need to realize that you know you can be um, a good Christian. Uh, have good virtue in every way that it should be expected, but we're missing something as a as a Christian culture in our nation when we've lost the capability to be dangerous, the capability to be well, un- unpredictable, yeah. to make people uneasy, to do things that that people are initially disturbed by, and uh, I think something really set the Christian community back in America when we became the establishment in, in our ability to be salt and light. You know, the the Christian community was very scandalous back in the New Testament day when they were the minority, and there were all sorts of whispers about them being cannibals and everything else, and 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 people wondered what they were up to, and now we have basically become the inquisitors to stop people uh, from thinking, from exploring different venues. And well, uh, not only that, but what's the worst genre of film uh, in in the history? Of film? The Christian film—it's <laughs> like if you if you look at if you look at films that describe themselves as overtly Christian, I would say ninety nine point nine percent of them are virtually unwatchable. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I have, have one, John, John, I have one that I really revere that we really like. You probably know, know about it. Right. If footmen tire you, what will horses do? 
Are, What's are, that? If footmen tire you, what will horses do? Are you familiar with this film? I don't think so. It's, I don't think it so. is the mo- uh, Are you familiar with the Orman family that did, uh, was yeah. it Mesa, yeah. the Lost Women? Did, uh, did you know that they had found Jesus sometime in their life? They had had a near-death experience on uh, a plane crash and decided to make their, you know, 60s exploitation movies like they made. They made them for Jesus, and they got hooked up with Estes Perkle, the uh, preacher in Mississippi who had a famous uh, uh, sermon about that title. He preached throughout the South about the, the decadence of American culture was getting so bad in the late 60s that God was going to allow Fidel Castro and the communists to invade America. And uh, they, uh, they hooked up together to make a movie about his sermon, and Estes Perkle thought, as Baptist preacher, that, he, that they were just going to film him reciting this very stirring sermon. But what they chose to do was actually uh, riddle it throughout the movie with lots of reenactments of large numbers of congregation members of the local church in uh, Mississippi getting uh, shot and mowed down by machine guns and just blood everywhere and massacres and all sorts of struggles between the the Russian guards. And it is something that is as shocking as anything has ever, anyone's ever seen at the drive-in movie. And yeah. supp- supposedly large numbers of people came to the Lord when they saw that movie. They were literally scared into heaven when it was shown in churches, and now it's considered the most the craziest Christian movie ever made. So if you have not reviewed yeah, that, well, I highly recommend I it. I would have, yeah, I would have... Um uh, um, I'll, 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 I promise to check that out. Um, there is a famous exploitation film producer named Kroger Babb um, from the days of the old road shows. Who his most famous movie was called Mom and Dad, which was one of those live birth movies where you see a live birth on screen. You're right. It's all about uh, the dangers of premarital sex and mm-hmm. how it wrecked you know, wrecks young girls and everything. Right. And so he was already known as a moralist who did these road shows around the country. But he went and filmed the um, annual passion play that they do in Lawton, Oklahoma. And he called, I don't know why he didn't call it the passion. He called it the Lawton story. So, so hmm. the movie went out as the Lawton story. And apparently he made quite a bit of money, uh, you know, promoting that, promoting it in uh, um, in in uh, churches. Uh, but the way the way uh, Kroger would uh, would uh, promote his um, his uh, you know uh, moral parables is about two weeks before the movie would arrive in town, there would be these um, letters to the editor that would appear in the local paper. Uh, demanding that the city council uh, take action to make sure the movie did not come to that town. And, of course, Kroger was writing on himself uh, <laughs> and, Funny. Un- under, under a number of assumed names. And occasionally he, he would do such a good job that they would actually ban him, and it would cost him money to go to court and uh, get the film released. And you know, but, but he'd make so much money on the, on the, on the crowds that he would get. Um, but his his most famous letter, I think, is preserved in the Smithsonian Institution, was about um, uh, um, you know that uh, what is written by a pastor saying, um, "I want you to I want you to um, um, consider um, 
the the effect of mom and dad on your community. Um, I know of a young woman who was um, ruined by a man, blah, 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 and he tells the story, and it's a very heartbreaking story, and he says, and the last line is, and I am the father of that young woman. And, oh. and, and, and the, every newspaper would publish this letter, and uh, and it would cause sometimes the local uh, uh, church communities uh, to um, uh, rally in support of the film. So he could he could work it both ways. He could work it so that the the, the church supported the film or the church opposed the film. But he knew that he that he had to get the church uh, 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 excited about it. So. Um, uh, that, that you know, you can't do that anymore. But uh, but um, I need to read his film, memoirs. Course, I need to read his yeah. memoirs because uh, we had thought may- about maybe having some book burnings of some of our books to maybe rally support. <laughs> but uh, that sounds like a great idea. You, uh, you're mentioning actually, another. I have a book in my book. I have a book called Profoundly Disturbing: um, right. uh, Shocking Movies That Changed History, and I have a whole chapter in there on mom and dad that tells the Kroger bad story. But um, uh, in my opinion, there were a lot of Cecil B. DeMille movies that were Christian, mm-hmm. where you would have uh, um, an hour and 45 minutes of um, Roman orgies, <laughs> and, then, and then 10 minutes of um, Christian redemption. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, he, he used that, uh, that uh, formula over and over and over and they were called biblical epics, but what they should have been called is Roman orgy epics, you know. And the Claudette churches would there. The, okay, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, um, um, and uh, uh, but I think the movie that that um, uh, probably I, I don't even tell me if you agree with the with me on this, but the, probably the greatest mainstream Christian movie would be Ben Hur. Um, but, uh, uh, you well, know, maybe there's others that I can't re- recall. Well, mainstream, that's pretty intense. Of course, as far as popularity and something that had a drive-in feel, I think the Thief of the Night movies uh, would, would qualify for that. Uh, you know, for that, I, I could see You know, that. the Crossing the Switchblade was shown at drive-ins. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, in, in its heyday, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I, I feel a calling for you, uh, Brother John. I think, you know, if Magic Johnson could buy a bunch of theaters and open them up around the country, I think we may need you to corral the money to buy and preserve uh, theaters around the country. And uh, if you do if you do that and you pick a litany of things to show, I wish you'd show one of my favorites. It's called The Undertaker and His Pals. Uh, no, The Undertaker and His Pals, one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, gosh. I can't believe that oh. you're uh, bemoaning my taste. Uh, oh, The Undertaker and His Pals. Man, I have used that to great effect. I use clips from that uh, when I do certain talks just just because people can't believe that uh, that people can't believe how cheap it is. Um but uh, yeah, that's one of the, that's one of those so bad it's good uh, cult classics. It has everything and, uh, I love in the movies in it, and uh, my dream is to finally uh, convince Kelsey Grammer to star in a remake of that movie. I think he's ideal for The Undertaker, 
and it has everything that's cool about the 60s. You've got skateboards, motorcycles, uh, cool music, and uh, it, it's just all right there in one flick, you know. Bad yep. jump cuts. And, and, and undertakers. And undertakers, I, exactly. <laughs> I spoke to a convention of undertakers in uh, Washington State, and um, that was, of course, one of the clips I used to to uh, uh, to uh, uh, the, I, I was I was doing a, a history of uh, the mortician in the movies, and mm-hmm. uh, of course, Undertaker and his pals is the uh, is the highlight of the '60s. Sure, sure. Of course, Phantasm was another one that really showed morticians in a positive light too. Uh, is that the one with the little silver floating? The, the little ball floating yeah. around, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Angus something that was uh, carrying the coffins around. I've hey, challenged people for years to tell me what the plot is of Phantasm, and no one has ever yeah. been able to do it. Who who cares? I just know that they were sneaking sneaking uh, dead bodies off to another planet to work with some dwarves on another planet, but that's the best I understood. Hey, I've got two questions that i got to make sure I ask you before you leave us, okay? Uh, people okay. are scratching their heads saying... You know, Doctor Future is even crazier than normal, and, and I'm I'm trying to practice what I preach here by having a dangerous guest like you on our show. Although we've had a long litany of them in our history, um, because I want people to get comfortable as Christians thinking out of the box, and and I I want to ask you about the Wittenberg door. Our older listeners are very familiar with it, and then I was mentioning they'll they'll get a little sly grin if you ask them. I'll, I'll even ask older pastors. And they admit that they read the Wittenberg door with a flashlight under their covers uh, when nobody knew because it was it yep. was irreverent from the time of the early 70s. It was irreverent. It was scandalous. It um, it said that the emperor had no clothes. And it exposed when the American Christian Church went into foolishness and it called it for what it was. And, and it dared to actually use humor at, while being a Christian at the same time. And uh, to me, it was it was my like my experience with a with a Jack Chick track. I can remember my mother telling me, "Don't look at those kind of things. You know, they're bad to read." And of course, I was immediately drawn to them. And uh, uh, Wittenberg Door was just more of a Jack Chick a trick for older a track for older adults because it really showed um, some of the crazier things of our televangelists, our whole institutions, and where they were going in sort of a Mad Magazine kind of style. Um, what what do yeah. you think was important? Uh, and then so I was amazed that you got connected with it too. And why did you do that? And what was the goal for it? Well, the the the, the Wittenberg door for years was the Christian national lampoon, and mm-hmm. it was uh, you know it started in the early seventies. It came out of the Jesus movement, actually. If if you know what that, if right. people know what that is. Well, we go and, to a Calvary Chapel, which has its roots in the Jesus movement. Okay, well, there there were three guys who were sort of, sort of, um, and we could, I would, I, I think by today's standards they would be considered hippies. I mean, they were, they were, um, but they were in the Jesus movement and they wanted to do something, um, um, relevant. They wanted to, you know, put out a, a, a publication and they didn't know anything about publishing, but they started the, they, they said, okay, we're going to base it on, the, the, obviously, the Wittenberg door. Well, 
it, it took them three issues to discover that they didn't know how to spell Wittenberg. So, uh-huh. uh, so uh, the Wittenberg door to this day is spelled B-U-R-G instead of B-E-R-G, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's named after um, you know the Wittenberg door of Martin Luther. They also uh, they thought Martin Luther would be a good uh, symbol of. Um, of you know opposing this this state conservative church and and um, uh, but of course as we know now Martin Luther was not a very funny guy um, Erasmus would have been the I think would have been the better right, uh, right. Uh, medieval choice you know for but but a reformer choice you know for for a for a humor publication but anyway. Um, the, the Wittenberg door was um, revolutionary. I mean, it was groundbreaking. And as you say, I mean, divinity students uh, all over the country uh, read it. Some of them admitted it, and some of them didn't. Depended on what of, depended on what divinity school you went to. I mean, it was sort of like the early days of DC Comics or Mad Magazine. You had to hide it from your parents, and in some cases, the the um, the theology students had to hide it from their professors, mm-hmm. um, but it was uh, uh, it, it, it was it was radical in that way. It challenged a lot of the of the old assumptions about um, what the church is, and and it had interviews with people that you wouldn't you you wouldn't see anywhere else. And um, and uh, for we years really can't years, relate to that at all here on Future Quake. That's a foreign concept, does. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and for years and years, it was run by uh, Mike Iaconelli, who was a real uh, character um, in himself, and and he 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 literally, I mean, he would he would um, the door interview was the probably the most popular single feature. It was a little bit modeled on the Playboy interview in that it was a in depth um, uh, transcript of a. Of, of an intense conversation, usually, uh, and and it, and that conversation was often with somebody you'd never heard of until you had the door interview. But um, uh, Mike Iaconelli would go all around the country and find those people. So it it had that serious side to it, and then it also had just this goofy, um, you know, make fun of everything side to it. And uh, uh, I got I contributed articles to it from a from a very early you know, for 20 years, but um, I didn't become involved with the um, uh, attempts to save it until the uh, Trinity Foundation, can, uh, which is the current owner of it, kind of ran out of options, um, and um, uh, I, I've been trying to get uh, various uh, foundations to come in and, and run it uh, ever since ever since 2008. Um, even though I'm not a publisher, but uh, I think the door is a unique uh, publication that uh, uh, that, sp- that speaks to the church and should continue to speak to the church. Um, it was it was strange. I I I I was the editor of the online version of it for about a year, mm-hmm. and it's strange. The um, people who are attracted to it. Um, I would say half of the people soliciting me to write articles were atheists. And I, and I would say, look, what, you have plenty of places to go write. 
uh, about you know whatever you whatever you think about uh, Christianity. Um, and uh, I mean, we you know maybe we could print an article by an atheist, but I just wondered why were they attracted to the door mm-hmm. of all places? Maybe because um, they sensed so some have, truth there. They sensed some yeah. truth, and that was a roadblock for them getting through the Christian institution. Yeah. And they were attracted for something just like the way in the, the New Testament people were attracted to Jesus but were not attracted to the Pharisees. Right. I, I went to the um, national, uh, actually international atheist convention and uh, did an article for The Door uh, in 2007. Um, they had all the superstars there. They had um, uh, Christopher Hitchens and... Uh, um, uh, uh, um, oh God! I'm blanking on the on they they had Dawkins. the big five. Dawkins. They had Dawkins. They had Hitchens. They had Bennett. They had um, uh, the uh, woman, the uh, Somali woman from um, from uh, Belgium. So they were like um, the super friends of atheism. They, these were the super atheists of our of our yeah. time. And and it was like a revival. It was like a revival. It yeah. had all the elements of a revival. It was funny, um, but um, they had become very. Uh, uh, they they started a religion called right. atheism. Right. So, and, and heaven forbid you'd point that out. You know, you might say they don't have any clothes on like the other uh, Christian leadership. Hey, I, I, this they is hate some, it when you say that. By the way, I know, I know. That's why you should say it. Uh, this is sort of culminating, and I guess really what we're getting to. I'd, I'd like to ask you so much more, and I know your time's short. But but having considered all this, and much more we could talk about, we didn't talk about the Trinity Foundation and their their uh, move to expose uh, Christian televangelists that prey on people and uh, take the widow's might and exploit it for their own use, uh, which yeah. is, to me, far worse than what Wall Street does. Uh, but having considered all this, I submit that there's a distinct need, and I think our seven years of future quake show this, for village idiots in the Christian community. Uh, free thinkers that admit the taboo unmentionables, and even note when we slip into absurdity in the church, and even dare to say it in laughing and sarcastic tones. Uh, I, I'm sure you appreciate uh, me nominating you in that category, along with us and many others. And, and I would say that the, the words of the Old Testament prophets... And even God and Jesus frequently on occasion, frequently even fall in that category. Do you agree with that opinion? And, and, and what role in the church do you think they play for those kind of people, the, the free-thinking village idiots? And how can they fulfill their role without falling into some kind of damnable heresy? Ooh, boy, uh, big topic. Um, I'm, you know what? I'm not... I'm not sure about that. There's a there's a place for uh, poking fun, and there's a place for not poking fun. I've I've been exhorted um, uh, quite a bit about um, confusing the uh, simple-minded, mm-hmm. and there's some truth to that where you need to know what your audience is. Right. You need to know what they expect and you need to know that they know the rules. Uh, and that and, and once they're in the spirit of it, it's it, it, it's fine. But uh, to walk into a um, 
to walk into a group of believers that you don't know and nuke them, you know, I don't, I don't think we should be doing that. Right. Good. Okay. <laughs> you know, because because there are uh, uh, there, there are uh, and 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 also, you know, there are varying degrees of sophistication, varying degree, varying degrees of understanding, varying varying degrees of um, you know, what, one thing is, I hate I hate to talk to um, um, new believers, to tell you the truth, um, because because they're just too damn enthusiastic and they're too damn uh, stupid, and so you know, and you can't just say, you can't, you can't, can't help say that. anything. I well, can't say anything. Well, when they say something stupid, I can't say anything because right. they're a new believer, so and, that, that's, and you don't you know, want to pick on them. You don't want to hurt them, right? You're saying <laughs> right. that because you really respect them. And, and whereas you'd like to step on toes of somebody who knows better that's been in the church your whole life, somebody that's that vulnerable, you have to be so careful that you have to bite your own tongue because yeah, you sincerely yeah. really don't want to hurt them, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I yeah. think you've probably been in that situation where, I mean, you got you, you got you to have discernment. you got to have discernment about this stuff. And, you know, the Wittenberg door was always directed at the, uh, pointed-headed intellectuals in the uh, in the church, and uh, so we we felt like it was okay to nuke anything, uh, yeah. you know, because it was a magazine and it was gonna it was gonna be seen in in certain circles, you know. Um, uh, you, you have to know you have to know who the audience is. One, one of the things that Americans mistake Americans frequently make is they don't see the church universal they see the american church mm-hmm. they only they only know a a very tiny sliver of the church they're, they're the most ethnocentric believers in the world um there are there are hundreds if not thousands of varieties of christianity as practiced around the world and um we have no clue about it, you know, which is right. not exposed to it. And so if you're exposed to that for five minutes, you suddenly become very humble about what you have to say as a satirist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like uh, there's just vast worlds that we, the, 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 the beauty of, of um, the gospel is that it moves at a mysterious level. So it can never be totally apprehended by the natural mind, and so there are so many uh, expressions of it, and those expressions are individual. So what I would rather say that we do, rather than being satirists or whatever, is that we celebrate the ridiculous individualism of belief. You know that there's, there's just all these varieties of people. Um, and, uh, boy, it always just like blindsides you, doesn't it? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, I didn't expect that to come out of that guy. Um, that's sort of the nature of a living church mm-hmm. is, um, is it, is, is, is it never stops supporting you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I think we're celebrating when we celebrate. I mean, we happen to be the guy who's standing on the sideline making jokes, you know, and sometimes, People should throw tomatoes at it. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's what we deserve. You know, 
but that happens to be the office. Um, I don't even want to call it an office. It's not that important, but it's what, it's what we, that, that's what we do. That's who we are. And, um, um, I, I have, uh, uh, I think it brings me in contact with a lot of people that I wouldn't otherwise be in contact with. Uh, and, um, that's a good thing. What, if I hear you right, it sounds like, while this role is important, and some of us sort of wear that mantle, uh, whether it's comfortable or not, the Christian community should neither burn them at the stake nor set them on his throne. But, but should, uh, yeah, I would say that. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. But yeah. but should but should at least tolerate them and realize that you know even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, and I, and I think the way you described it was really um, uh, very articulate in that. The, the 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 individualism the the I don't know if it was an absurd or fantastic individualism within the church because that's really what we try to focus on in the the interview guest list that we have on future quake is to let people be best by believers from different backgrounds that have some fresh thinking that we hadn't even considered uh, our listeners know through the years that we're committed to our love for Jesus Christ to our love for His Word um, we're very committed. To uh, the Bible uh, and our belief it is, is it being our sole practice, but but we find a lot of refreshing understandings from people who are also committed to Jesus that consider things that we had never even considered in our hearts, and uh, we hope and we we make mistakes sometimes on Future Quake where we have a well thanks Tom <laughs> we have a very wide listenership from people who are quite old uh, both men and women been in the church for a long time and have been sort of crusaders. On their own behalf, more, you know, in, in moral issues, rightfully so. And then we have a younger set who really never were exposed to a lot of the sort of the traditional upbringing. I was raised a Southern Baptist myself, and so I'm sort of familiar with all the culture that goes along in American Christian culture. So we have a wide swath in our email list uh, that we get in every week. Sort of shows a lot of times when we step over the line or when we confuse or whatever. But thank goodness our listeners are very forgiving of us. They recognize they get what they pay for uh, with us. We're not professionals in what we do. This is a labor of love. And uh, we try our best to try to find something that at least challenges where we think without just merely trying to shock us or, or try to knock down institutions, not at the time they need to be knocked down, but when really there's really an issue that's involved. Um, right. I know we're out of time, but I want to... Hey, let, me, let, me, uh, let me address one other thing that you mentioned before, before sure. we go. Uh, when when you talk about the televangelists, um, right. I've been involved with that particular effort of Trinity Foundation to to expose their lies and corrupt practices for the past mm-hmm. twenty years, and um, I've spoken to a lot of people about it. And um, there are when I first got into that and started looking at those guys, I always asked the question: All right, are these guys actually? Crooks taking people's money, like just like con men in the carnival. Are they confused believers who have gone down a road that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't find a way out of? Are they? Do they really believe so fervently in the prosperity gospel that they think their getting rich is somehow doing the work of God? In other words, where are they on turn in terms of? of how bad are they? Mm-hmm. And the answer is you have all three types. You have actual crooks. There are actual crooks who do the, uh, most of them are healers. And mm-hmm. you have 
the middle kind who are sort of confused and they've gone to that um, um, college in uh, Oklahoma, his name escapes me right now, Rayma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have been taught how to do this, and they are trying their best, and they're just confused. And then there are the um, then there then there are the people who believe fervently in the prosperity gospel. They believe that their wealth is uh, a blessing from God. They believe that other people who have wealth have been blessed by God, and the people who don't have wealth are not blessed by God. Now. All three, the, the, the two that I want to focus on are the, are the first one and the third one. That's the evil. <laughs> they're, they're both evil. Hmm. The ones that just out, out, outright do the con games uh, and take people's money because it's widows and orphans. It's always widows and orphans. Right. It's lonely people and it's elderly women. Uh, if you look at where they get their money from their mailing lists, uh, it's uh, elderly single women. And it's people who, for whatever reason in life, they're extremely lonely. So I call that a spiritual orphan. So it's widows and orphans. And that's, they work them. They work them on the phones. They work them in the mail. They work them in every single way they can work them. And they get their money. And that's evil. Now, when you, because when you talk to people about these televangelists, they'll often say, well, yeah, they're probably, yeah, I know they're silly, but, you know, they probably do some good, and it's better that they're talking about God than not talking about God. No, 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 no. This is a bad, bad thing. I hope that so, at some point you're getting Anthony on the show because he can talk more articulately than I can about exactly how the scams work. Mm-hmm. But this is not some harmless little thing. <laughs> it's really horrible thing to do in the name of God. And so um, that's why, because people always ask, they would ask me, why does the door talk so much about these televangelists? We're sick of it. We're sick of it. Well, because there's new stuff coming up. We we would love to stop talking about it. There's always new stuff coming up. You know, we can't get rid of these guys. And there's new generations of them coming along, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's new levels of of, uh, of deception and thievery. And so it's like that guy that, um, uh, you know, there was a false teacher and Paul got, the, got his uh, followers together and prayed that the roof would fall in on him. <laughs> that's kind of right. what we do. That's kind of what we do. We're waiting for the roof to fall in so we can move on to more important things. But it's not happening. Not happening. They're just getting more and more powerful. Well, you fill so, a void. That's my rant. That's my rant about that. You you fill a void that if the other Christian leadership that are well known in the country, if they were brave enough to take a stand against this activity, there wouldn't be a need for the Trinity Foundation and for people doing this. The people who had really the money and access uh, made a statement to the rest of society, that the Christian community doesn't tolerate this kind of behavior, it wouldn't require small groups like yours to do this kind of thing. And that's why we talk about a lot of issues sometimes, that we wonder where is our Christian leadership, uh, where we actually we demonize entire people groups or people who are different us or different faiths or whatever, and we try to use it to get political ingratiation or things like this. And these are people that, that claim Christ. They claim 
what we would believe the right things out of the Bible, but they've added so much more, uh, even an idolatry of our own country, uh, into this belief. And it gets very complicated, and we try to struggle to, to sort this out. But in closing, I want to ask you, um, where do you think the Lord is taking you right now? I mean, you've done all sorts of movies you've been in. Uh, I mean, you are a true celebrity. I mean, you've you've really earned uh, access to the insiders in Hollywood. You've 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 had your own television programs for many many years and other media. What what do you think though, from what you've learned now and from your experiences there? What do you feel like the Lord has called you to do with the rest of your life? Well, I never try to look be a a big future predictor. Um, I, I just, I just, I really do just go um, uh, one day at a time. But uh, I've always felt like exactly what we were talking about, the Wittenberg door. I've always felt like there's got to be some way. I, I, I could, I, if, if, this, if this were not a Christian show and you answered that, asked me that question, I would tell you about five projects I'm about to work on, which I am. Mm-hmm. I, but I'm in, I want to talk about the one that I don't know where the money and support is going to come from. But, but the one I want to work on is the Wittenberg door. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it should not be lost to Christianity, and it's in danger of being lost. And so um, that's where, if I had to, if I had to say that's where I should be, then that's where. That's where I would be, you know. And we'll we'll see if anything happens to turn that around. But um, well, John, that's you, what you, I think you you have a right to be paid for your for your work. You're very skilled in what you do, and with your secular projects, you do you have the right to be paid as well as anybody else. But in something like this, it's a labor of love for the Lord in the internet age, where you can where simply even a blog exists. Is there anything that stops you from right now for carving out a little piece of your life? And even on a small scale, picking up the uh, the figurehead right now and pushing it forward. Uh, yeah, that's what we did. We did that for a, a, a year or two, and uh, we've talked about doing it. The problem is, I was doing that, and it was becoming the John Bloom, Joe Bob Briggs door. Mm-hmm. It was not to me. <laughs> it was distorting it. It was distorting mm-hmm. it. I was doing too much, you know, and so. Um, the door needs to have a community. The door needs to have, have a staff. Well, we can certainly uh, help supply that as far as, you know, content and contributions because we have a, a large community of people uh, in our network uh, of all sorts of various backgrounds. So, you know, if it's a money thing, that's one thing. And in the Internet world, you know, uh, unless you've got to have it for a living, it's, it's pretty simple to run things in the Internet world on board. But if you're talking about just a variety of, per, you know, opinions, perspectives, and commentary, I really believe that's already out there right now, and I know we certainly in our network and others that we could talk to, uh, there's no reason why this couldn't be a reality. Okay, well, I hope you will talk about it. And, uh, you know, let, let me give you an example. Cracked.com, which, mm-hmm. which is a satirical, right. satirical site, has 255 million hits per month. <laughs> yeah. I, I could make the door work with 500,000 hits per month. Mm-hmm. Figure out what that percentage is. Point one percent of what crack does, mm-hmm. and so um, and so that's all. That's all it is. It's just a matter of uh, who's going to pick up the next generation. Who's going to be the next generation? Um, mm-hmm. You know what? What I think what's really crying out to me about the door 
is young people. We need young people in their 20s who want to write for the door, who know what the door is. Yeah, I have to tell anybody, anybody under 35, I got to tell them what the door is. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there needs to be a youth movement, um, at the door. And, uh, some of those people that are writing for cracks, they need to be writing for the door. And so, that's what I, that's what I would hope going forward. And we're, we're looking for ways to, um, to, uh, to do it. Uh, but you're right. And I hear your exhortation. You know, maybe, maybe I need to go back into it, um, uh, more aggressively. Uh, but, um, well, anyway, make sure whoever I, I you just, get, I want to, yeah, make sure I they love want your, Jesus. I want your listeners to, <laughs> to email me and tell me what they want to do to, to uh, help the door, um, because um, I know I know there's a place for it, and I know we can bring it back. And that's Joe Bob at JoeBobBriggs.com. That's it. Yep. And uh, www.JoeBobBriggs.com. You can find out a whole lot there. You have a very varied career, and I just want to warn our Christian listeners there of a various variety. Um, he is a, a very libertarian type character, I might say, on what you'll find there. So. Um, if you've gotten used to future quake, this may take you to the next step on things. But, uh, Mr. Bloom, you, you certainly love Jesus, don't you? I do. And you're, you're growing in grace and learning more from him every day, right? I don't know about that. I hope so. Hey, you hope so. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> listeners, I want you to check it out. I'm going to get a copy of the book, Profoundly Disturbing, Shocking Movies That Change History, because I, uh, I like history and I like cultural history. And Joe Bob Briggs has a unique perspective on things. So if anybody else wants to get a copy of that, too, if that's your kind of thing, I highly recommend it. But I want to thank you so much for coming on, going a little bit in overtime. There was a whole lot more I wanted to ask you, but I know that's sort of the way it's going to go with this. Um, Will, did you survive it? Were you too traumatized? Do you think you might make another appearance on the on the quake sometime? I think, I think we'll, we need to do it again. We'll do it again some other time. Well, you have to listen to MP3s sometime. And... Uh, I would suggest you go through our free archive there at futurequake.com. You will find some stuff that will uh, intrigue you uh, from our listeners that we have over the years. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us today on Future Quake. We're back at the Future Quake show and with Dr. Future. And Tom, the door, Bionic. The door. Well, you know. We we had a good friend of ours, friend of ours from the show, long-term Christian, that has told me that over the years he's listened all along. He says, I like when you all do some of those more risky kind of shows. We're pushing the envelope. And I, I think uh, this is one of those guys, but I really wanted him on because yeah. many, many people know he, who he is from uh, Joe Bob Briggs we're talking about, from his, his TV persona and other kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I think people would be shocked to find out that he was a Christian, a practicing Christian. Mm-hmm. And he may do things or get involved in things that some of us would not understand uh, or would think different about. But he has an interesting perspective. And from what I know of him, we didn't get much into his uh, religious background now. Mm -hmm. Um, But from what I've read of it, he's been involved in this group with this Holy Anthony that basically is, is a group in the inner city that works with the inner city and taking care of the poor. And tries to sort of live New Testament style on things. And that rattles a lot of the Christian establishment there, too. And I don't know all the details from what I've read. But he's not what people might think. as sort of a Hollywood kind of guy. Yeah, I just uh, I just uh, Google imaged him, and I'm shocked. I've seen that guy's face for years. <laughs> yeah, and you didn't know, didn't who, know who, who he was? was. 
With the cowboy hat? Oh, my golly. Jeez. So you didn't know what you had a connection with, Man, huh? yeah. Yeah, uh, this guy's sort of a household name. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, man, I, I forgot. No, I'm fired. I really appreciate uh, the time that he made to be on our show mm-hmm. and a very unique Christian perspective, which is what I enjoy, yeah. even though none of us ever have to embrace the totality of each one of us and where we are with the Lord because we all come from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Well, but a uh, relationship. He know? has a unique experience in that, and it's interesting to see where the Lord will take him. And the Wittenberg door was one of those really sort of dangerous kind of things that said the things that everybody was thinking but nobody wanted to say because they wanted to be prim and proper. Hmm. And I think and sometimes the prophets sort of filled that role sometimes. Interesting way to look at that. Where they said the stuff that needed to be said. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, you know, a lot of people thought it was scandalous, but then some people could see through it and see that there was truth that needed to be said in it. So I hope people take that for what it's worth and we'll uh, um, see something of value. I'm hoping that, you know... we. The time goes by so quick. Oh, we have Pyro joining us in the studio. Have our new, new. Uh, he's not. He's not so silent of a silent partner. Yeah, our cast member wanted to join us here, yeah. but uh, he uh, he has such interesting experiences that people don't know about as a Christian. Mm-hmm. But but uh, this was really an introduction. So he got to know us as much as as he us of him, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping he'll be back, and maybe we'll encourage him to get. Some of his perspectives and some of his experiences, mm-hmm. and share them with us in the future. Yeah, be cool. And like our listeners to let us know what they think about that. Hey, let me mention real quick um, uh, some bookkeeping here. We have uh, three of our dear Futurians out there who have ordered our two book sets. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, we still have some. There are still some available. It's a, a Future Quake set, Lies the Government Told You by Judge Jenny Napolitano. It's a hardbound book that will really help people, people you know who think you're crazy, understand about the real keys of what's the wrong and issue with our country. And then it's The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars is the other book by Andrew Hoffman. That That is the clearest picture of the spiritual nature of what the problem is in our country that's in concert with that. And uh, it is a great way to get people to understand that you know about what we think we understand here on Future Quake. But uh, we had three of our uh, Futurians who had ordered sets, uh, Loretta, Robert, and Tom, and they were on hold to the end of the month. And I just want to let you all know, I personally witnessed them with uh, Andrew Hoffman. We mailed them from Branson. So they should be winging their way to you within, maybe by now, by the time you're listening to the show, they should be to you, hopefully a day or two. So. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I know you're feeling a little underweather. You've had a hard day today, right, getting yeah, back from Branson? Yeah, understatement. I'm and looking, uh, your looking, car was trying to implode on you? Yeah, looking for different stuff. Looking for, you had to get a P.O. box. My car exploded on Wednesday. I put it back mm-hmm. together. You're moving. You're going through sort of a transition yeah. right now in your life. Yep, moving Yet again. looking for new employment. Uh, my car exploded Wednesday night. I put it back together, mm-hmm. drove to Branson, came back. The car exploded again, this time on the middle of the road. I put it back together, drove down, finished getting the P.O. box, uh, prayed over some people at the Starbucks, uh, what else am I missing? I sent out a whole bunch of applications, on and on and on. It's heavy. So Full after time. all weekend of ministering to people, praying for people, trying your best to bless people, this is the kind of destiny that happens sometimes for the servants of God. Yep. You spend all weekend blessing people, doing these kind of things. You come back, car breaks down, got to find another job. <laughs> you got to move. 
you know what? All of our listeners have been through the same stuff. And can I pray for you with them right now for you? Please do. Do you mind? I sure need it. Right now. I've, I've lost my marbles. Heavenly Father, I pray for our dear brother Tom that we love so much and has blessed all of us. I know me and and all of our future and listeners and was so active this weekend in meeting people's needs. And he is seeking you. I don't know of a person who prays more to you, who seeks your face more and is devoted to your word and, and ministering to people. But Lord, he needs some grace. He needs some grace and direction and just in a lot of different directions where things are coming on all fronts right now. And, Lord, I just pray this for him. And all our Futurians I know are agreeing with us because they love him, too, and have been blessed by him, too, with what he said on the radio or what he's done with them personally and all the ones that he's, he's prayed with and prayed for. Uh, Lord, I pray that all these blessings go directly to Brother Tom. And uh, I know all of us praying together that we can expect to see some things starting to click and come together. And some, some of these challenges, Lord, that have been this phase of life going on will uh, start to clear up. And Lord, I thank you so much for his testimony for me and for the rest of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, sweet. I already my 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 migraine already feels a little better. Like slightly better. Yeah, a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, not, I, not we're not talking dramatic, but I knew it does feel better. I knew you were quiet in our discussion there, and I assume that was probably because you weren't feeling too good. Yeah. You know, I during the uh, future Congress some sensitivity all of a sudden. Well, the future Congress conference that we had this weekend, um, I felt incredibly terrible. I think the yeah, heat, because the thing was un, you, uncooled, yeah, man. I had a splitting headache the entire time I was there. Yeah, you did a good job sucking it up, man. I got I well, give I was pretty whiny. to you, my friend. I was pretty whiny most only, of the time. Only to me in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, well, I try to, I tried to sort of suck it up for the... Uh, for our friends, you know, and our and and our when we were speaking and things like that, uh, can you give everybody? People want to know that didn't make it. Any kind of impressions you had of? I'll tell you what, man. I the had in conference. Yeah, I mean, uh, there seemed like there were. Well, first off, I want to tell you, like, I'll give you the coolest experience. And if you don't feel like talking much with your headache, no, I'll cool, just so. I'll just close my eyes. I'll okay. be like uh, Stevie Wonder. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, uh, let me tell you about the coolest experience I had. Well, open your eyes enough to get the mic closer to you, at least. Where is it? Where is it? I don't it? know. Come on, Stevie. Find the mic. Okay. Um, the coolest experience I had was this guy who had seen us at a previous conference and didn't agree with some of the stuff that I had said. Mm-hmm. Just sort of didn't agree with different things. So he came and uh, he 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 sort of stopped me and he said, you remember me? I said, yeah, hey, what's going on, man? It's It's not like he was... You know, unpleasant or mean or mm-hmm. anything. He just, you know, uh, let's say strongly disagreed with something, mm-hmm. some of what I said, and uh, probably the first time that's ever happened to us. Yeah, it? very yeah. unique. Yeah. So go with the flow. We are. Right. Um. Anyway, I was talking with him, and uh, I said, "So what's going on?" He said, "You know, first off, I want to apologize for you, uh, to you, because six months ago, uh, my life collapsed into a full-on." Uh, like, I don't know, souffle of, of humility and guilt over the things that I had said. And he just went on and on like that about yeah. how he thought I was wrong, and then it turned out that I was right. And he he wanted to personally apologize, and he thanked me for being uh, gentle and not calling him out or going, you know, gotcha or anything like that. And uh, it was really, it was really, really touching, actually. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. 
I mean, it's awesome to be blessed that way, but it's awesome for this person who was so concerned about that all this time that felt like they had to go to the extra effort to come seek you out. It was it was cool because nobody's ever been um, like that Jesified about apologizing. Yeah. You know, Jesified. I didn't realize that was a word. <laughs> it's that's a verb. A, that's a cool name. Yeah, yeah. cool word. He he yeah. like he was so sincere, and he didn't even want to. He was almost like I don't even want to take up too much of your time because I know what you're doing is important. But you know, I just wanted to tell you all this stuff. So, hmm. um, so that was the coolest. Uh, the mm-hmm. coolest moment at, at Future Congress for me. But you had stacks of people lined up to pray after your sleep paralysis talk, right? Well, I don't know about stacks, but there were some people. That's what I saw. Know, just a couple of people. Just, you know, just pray for but them. It, but the opportunity of this conference was a lot of people who weren't used to the Revelations Radio Network kind of shows like ours yeah. or PID Radio or Chris White or on and on uh, were able to meander on into our groups mm-hmm. when we talked and hopefully they had some surprises. You know, I, it was interesting to see the sort of the two groups there, and sort of without without placing any judgment on them yeah, or anything. Yeah, sure. You had uh, the sort of an older generation, you know, the mm-hmm. lot lot more gray hair, uh, generally more shaped by Soviet style and Soviet area era mm-hmm. Bible Cold, prophecy. Cold War. Cold Cold yeah. War. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I sort of joked with one of them. I said, "Yeah, they're like the Soviets." And mm-hmm. they, they, they took it completely wrong. Yeah. Um, but I just more just shaped by that sort of biblical uh, biblical prophecy. And uh, they tend to be very, very pre-tribulational mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, generally more homogenized. They're okay with mm-hmm. the leaders being at the top and the middlemen being the middlemen and their, their, mm-hmm. their position in whatever the hierarchy is, mm-hmm. you know. And then you had the younger crew, uh, of which I would say both you and I uh, uh, are a part of. And and we you had they tended to be younger. They tended to be more like outgoing. Uh, like one guy, one guy that got baptized this weekend. Um, one of his friends came by me. He said, "Have you seen him? Seen blah blah blah? Because he didn't come back to the room mm-hmm. last night." I said, "Well, I don't know, man. I mean." You know, maybe we're mm-hmm. going to have to talk about this whole sin thing before he gets baptized. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out he spent all night uh, evangelizing a bunch of New Age people who were wandering around the hotel. And that's why I didn't get back to the room. And um, so, so yeah, so there's this kind of like the younger crowd. You know, they're more into, you might say, hands-on, I guess, almost, mm-hmm. you know. But that even includes the people who spoke from that community. Yeah. So the Revelations Radio Network crowd. Mm-hmm. They were more involved in like in the lobby, mm-hmm. grouping together, sort of doing collective yeah. things, comparing notes. I'll tell you, man, my I, I didn't there I, I wanted to go to more talks, but I felt my time was more fruitful just sitting on the couch talking to people. Yeah. In the lobby there. I'll yeah. bet you I spent sixty percent of my time yeah. on the couch there. Well, yeah. you know, sixty waking hour time. Right. Right. And just just talking with other folks and 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 um, all of that stuff, you know. Well, all of you Futurians who uh, have fallen asleep listening to Future Quake, hearing me drone on, will be glad to know that when I spoke on my Holy War talk, you which went further out, research, bro. well, it, it, yeah, it was I couldn't packed. I couldn't get in to see it. But there was no there was no. I still don't know what you said. You, you might don't have just know. Just been a okay. one one like run on sentence of Tom Bionic is a lunatic. Well, I was just stealing all your quotes, really, but. Uh, <laughs> There was no air conditioning in that room, and uh, people were just being carried out on stretchers. They were swooning left and right. So I think it was mostly from my talk and not the heat. But 
it was ridiculously hot there, but we persevered anyway. And one of the, well, first of all, we got to see, and I, I'm afraid to mention some of them because we're going to forget a whole lot of them, mm-hmm. but a whole bunch of Futurians we were able to meet It was for sure the first cool, time. man. I had the greatest... I had the greatest time just meeting all these guys, and everybody was, like, different and hanging out and talking for hours, mm-hmm. and everybody was cool. Some of them we all tagged along together for, for lunch or yeah. dinner. Then when we were able to collect, it was hard to get everybody because everything was spread out everywhere. That it was yeah. someone's happenstance yeah. when you got people and, and rolled off to eat. But getting to see people like Von Glitschke for the first time yeah. and getting hang with like, him. Like Brother Bob and Brother Kurt, you yeah. know. And, Bro- uh, yeah, Brother Kurt from Manchester yeah. who... Uh, who uh, came up with one of our good friends, Adam, and yeah, met us there. Yeah. And we got to go over and have a little time after the conference to spend with them. And to be able to have a talk with Robert Hyde, who uh, held court this weekend, Brother Chris Putnam, yeah, uh, to uh, have people like Vaughn yeah. and, uh, and Andrew Hoffman and, and others. And some new friends, too. Doug, uh, Brother Doug Hamp there from, uh-huh. uh, I guess he's a, I guess yeah. he's a pastor. From Corrupting the Image, yeah, wrote, a, wrote a book. out there in Orange County. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and getting to meet David Hitt for the first time too. That was cool. Right, right. Yeah. Who I, I want to have him on our show to talk about Dimensionless. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never met him in yeah. the flesh. Yeah, he really busted at putting that that whole thing together. And he making he it actually he actually said he'd been working on that for like five years. <laughs> well, it's incredible what he pulled off. It's interesting. But, uh, yeah. Pastor Rust is dar, uh-huh. as you would expect, running out in the water in the pool at the end of the conference. We had like midnight baptisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a number of people, good brothers and sisters in the Lord, were baptized, mm-hmm. and uh, Rob Skiba dropped by at that time too, yeah. and a bunch of there was celebrities. a bunch of people that I, I recognize them. I just in we said hi. I just uh-huh. um, I know that I'm forgetting people, so please forgive yeah. me. And Gary Stearman from Prophecy of the News was intrigued to check out some uh, some of us guys. You know, so in the peanut gallery, yeah, and uh, write write an expose on us. Yeah, ho- hopefully not. But uh, uh, I think he said he'd like to have some more uh, interaction with some of us, and I hope that happens. Sweet. So there's a lot of good stuff that happened. Any anything else you remember? And I said I'm afraid to list all the new Futurians we met because I'm afraid I'm going to forget somebody. But uh, every one of you, whether I sat down and stole some of your breadsticks, or uh, huh. just bent your ear at a table, or bet you in the parking lot, or when they were ogling over the future mobile, uh, all of that uh, was just part of a real memorable experience. And yeah, it no. was it was an interesting interesting time for sure. It was packed out. They probably had would you guess seven eight hundred people maybe. I I think the official number is seven hundred. Seven hundred. Yeah. So hopefully that was successful enough that uh, they'll maybe have another one of those and maybe we can meet some of the rest of y'all out there. Yeah. Uh, before I forget too. Remember, if you're in Middle Tennessee and you'd like to check out the Future Quake Study Group, um, be sure and check that out. Our first meeting will be after we air the show. It'll be on the 28th, but uh, we'll keep you posted the week before when it's, we hope to have that a bi-weekly thing at the Goodlandsville Public Library mm-hmm. uh, right off I-65 here. Um, would you like me to do a quick story, or do you want us just to go right into some uh, some uh, letters, why, why don't emails? You do, why don't you do a quick story? Well, okay. I'll just go through my headlines since we don't have time. Okay. Banks pay back TARP funds by dot, 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 borrowing from Treasury. That's a nice one. So banks aren't even using their own money. To no. They're, Is there such a thing as banks' own money? That's no, the real question. Not any, apparently not anymore. And then uh, the Knights Templar, Mexico's newest drug cartel. That's a nice one. Boy, that's the going thing right now, isn't it? The, the Templars? Yeah. Yep. Um. 
Well, I didn't know how you felt since you're a little under the weather right uh, now. I if am. you wanted to, Here, here's wanted a positive. I'll, I'll leave it on a positive. Okay. Uh, Hungary destroys all Monsanto GMO GMO maize fields. They said, no, no Monsanto in our country. Out. They so they even went and found seeds that had really? been smuggled in and raised the fields. Wow. Yeah. So Monsanto has been kicked out. Pretty much. Praise the Lord. That you said Honduras. Uh, Hungary. 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 Wow. Well, it looks like that's where we need to end up. You want to go to Hungary. Yep. I know. At least they've got a clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, there'll be some U.N. pushback on that. Could be. You know, they'll probably depose the ruler or something like that or something like that. Yeah. Um, For Rizzle. Uh, well. Why don't you, you just, just flow. Okay. Just kinda we'll do. Uh, I had a story on mass psychosis in the U.S. In the US uh-huh. on the incredible growth in psychotic medications but it may be a little long for the remaining part of our show if we get our emails in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll just mention that they say in here that it is now a $14 billion industry, antipsychotics, mm-hmm. and it is now the single top-selling therapeutic class of prescription drugs, uh, surpassing drugs to treat cholesterol and acid reflux. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, $14 billion in sales. And now, um, let's see. Just three of the new antipsychotics total more than 20 million prescriptions in the United States. Wow. Yeah. A major portion, a significant percentage of our entire population is now on, and, and, you know, and we all have people in our families, somebody Some we know people, that's using you know, it, I mean, and I there's a time and a place. People don't need that stuff, yeah. but the fact that we have all these people needing it all of a sudden and, you know, it's like, gosh, what did people do 20 years ago? Well, some we of the, all that depressed. Some of the data here shows that uh, children and adolescents treated for bipolar disorder rose 40-fold between 1994 and 2003. 40-fold. Wow. And uh, a two-and-a-half times increase in uh, people disabled by mental disorders that got you know government assistance uh, diagnosed and treated increased two-and-a-half times between 1987 and 2007. So now one in 76 people actually get money from the government due to a disability, due to, due to uh, psychosis. So Maybe that's what i got to do. Well, yeah, psychosis. I'll write it for you. I'll vouch for it. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me go to uh, this same old drum I've been beating for a long time, okay? Uh, by the way, that last story was from a very popular uh, uh, website or news site for a Christian community called Al Jazeera. Yeah, I got I got one from Al Jazeera in my stack. Too. Yeah, yeah. Some of the most I think unbiased news in NFL. It's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, this is one from uh, Wired.com, Danger Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Oslo, group accuses thousands of being homegrown terrorists. You know, I hate not to say something about the uh, Oslo attacks, particularly since the guy claims to be one of the Knights Templars and is anti-Muslim crusader, because this is exactly what we've sort of been. Intimating is going to happen. Well, DHS, get DHS like with with like forty eight hours to go of this guy doing his thing. Forty eight hours before he ran a, ran amok, um, published a white paper saying that the thing we have to worry about is middle class white terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we're clear since we're under the middle class. So I am I am exceptionally well, below the middle class these days. So. Poor, uninfluential people. Yeah. Maybe we're still in the clear here. Well, here here's the story here. Um, 
Days after a Norwegian terrorist allegedly motivated by a fear of Muslim infiltration killed 76 people, a Florida group took to Capitol Hill to accuse thousands of American Muslims of being a fifth column. Its presentation, a link analysis compiled from open source material, is collected into a database and brought to Washington by an influential congressman. An obscure nonprofit called Citizens for National Security compiled a database of almost 6,000 individuals and almost 200 organizations in the United States linked in some way to the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay, 6,000 individuals. Hmm. That's the new blacklist, like the Red Scare list. That's mm-hmm. the new one. Okay, the influential 80-year-old Egyptian Islamic group. Now, Muslim Brotherhood is the group that was largely funded by the British MI6 and later the CIA. Yeah. To actually stop secular. I believe the Nazis had a hand in, in working. The Nazis provided something that, that later we hired. Yeah. But but actually we had funded them to offset secular Arab groups that were nationalist. So just those we know those are now our these people we've been funding are now the new enemy. Okay. However, we are supporting Al Qaeda right now in some of those same countries. Okay, these individuals and organizations form a fifth column movement, a subversive movement intended to help undermine the United States as a secular government, as a Judeo-Christian society, said Peter Leitner, one of the founders of Citizens for National Security. Leitner identified himself as a retired federal employee who used to perform counterterrorism type analysis. Citizens for National Security, you know, that that almost sounds like like brown shirts or something like people yeah, who have whistles on their block. Like that's the first thing that I this thought. This person of. is not, you know, not loyal. Come get them, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Citizens for National Security would not name any individual listed on the database. Why not? Which it maintains is compiled exclusively from open source material. Asked by Danger Room, which is from WiredMac.com. Who would have access to it? Leitner said it would be available to, quote, someone in the government or law enforcement. So some list has been given with the names, even unbeknownst to the people on the list, okay? Mm -hmm. U.S. intelligence and homeland security agencies have recently warned about the rising threat of, quote, lone wolf, homegrown terrorists, which al-Qaeda is trying to inspire. But U.S. citizens don't need to don't need to have been charged with any crime to be mentioned in the database, he said, but only connected to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is not a banned organization inside the United States. To release the database to and private... And why aren't they banned? I don't know. Maybe we'd find out that, that we were funding them. Um, to release the database to private citizens would be, quote, irresponsible. You know, in, you know where we'd have the light of day, Leitner said... But he aggressively rejected any association between his research and the rampage allegedly committed by Anders Bering uh, Breivik in Norway on Friday. By the way, not releasing this list is just sort of like Eugene McCarthy when he had the, uh, or was it, was it Eugene McCarthy? No, it's Joe. Uh, Joe McCarthy. Uh, when he had the list of communist infiltrators in the government and the State Department mm-hmm. that he never, ever released. But he used that as a reason to have the hearings, mm-hmm. even though he never showed what they were. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he says, in a sprawling online manifesto, Breivik accused European elites of acquiescing to a campaign of Muslim infiltration that threatened U- European civilization. Um, Breivik believed that, quote, there was a certain type of threat, unquote, that might have been correct, Leitner said, but Breivik was a mere lunatic. 
Having situational awareness of your condition, Leitner says, is in no way inimical to national survival. Okay? So basically, by making it so overt to attack the people like that is what this guy was crazy to do, whether mm. be a little more subversive in it. Citizens for National Security released its accusation in the basement of the Cannon House office building on Capitol Hill, thanks to the patronage of Representative Alan West. You remember Alan West, who yeah. blessed the group's work? West, an Army officer whose career ended after he fired a gun at the head of an Iraqi detainee, which which is a no-no. Uh, yeah, very, a very calm kind of guy. Article 14, U.S. Marine Corps violation, I believe. Wow, you have an incredible memory. Well, yeah. Christians have, have gone around this guy that did the Article 14, okay? Yep. Said the group's research is about the protection of each and every American citizen. Not everyone in attendance felt the same way. Udik Thaker, the outreach representative for the American University chapter of the Muslim Students Association, one of the nefarious organizations listed in the group's report, said he respected Citizens for National Security's right to make its case. Okay, so here's a guy on the list, and his group's on the list, mm -hmm. and he's trying to defend uh, these folk and their right to do it. The very people, they're making him out to be a major danger, and he's trying to defend their right to do mm. their stuff. He says, but how do I know my Facebook page won't be on an open source of information for them, Thakur said. At times, Leitner said it was difficult to construct his elaborate organizational chart of the offshoots of the Muslim Brotherhood operating in the United States. I hope Future Quake's not on that chart. That would be a bummer. I don't care. But, you know, we... Like, I, get, I defy them to try to, to find... Camps. We've been talking about it for years. It's time to just get, get on down. To it. Let's just get on with it, you know? Well, I defy them to try to find where our big money comes from. Because if they find it, I want them to let me yeah, know. If they find big money, send it my way. Yeah, let, let us know where it is, because they might do us a favor here. Okay? Um... It says, uh, uh, it's kind of like looking at a plate of spaghetti, Leitner said, his organizational chart of the Muslim Brotherhood, you know. Mm -hmm. Something he called the result of the Brotherhood's intentional denial and deception campaign through intentional complexity. See, that's where you know if somebody denies they're part of it, then that makes sure that they are part of it. Mm -hmm. And the more that you deny you're part of it, then the more it means you are it's part of it. It's totally like Sayyid Qutub, uh, the guy who started, well, both, both, uh, uh, Leo Strauss and Said Qutub, they both said that, you know, you can be indoctrinated with this anti-evil anti worldview so much so that you can deny that you have it and test negative for the symptoms and still have it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. See, I had, a, I had a simpler view. The, the fact that if you deny you're, you're part of the network, that means you are part of it, is sort of like the old test for witches. Where they would throw them into the lake, mm -hmm. and, if and if they, they stay did. sank and stayed down, then they were not a witch. But if they came up to the top guessing for air, then that meant that they were a witch. So if you resisted death, then then it showed that you must be a witch. The group's research ought to come as a relief to innocent American Muslims, Leitner suggested, since it would free the mainstream Muslim community in the U.S. from the influence, intimidation, and taint of the Muslim Brotherhood. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to understand there really are conspiracies in the world, he said. So um, I guess he knows exactly who the bad guys and exactly who the good guys are. Mm -hmm. And that list pretty much takes care of it so then the other people can rest. You know, I mean, I know that there's some people, you know, that blow up stuff and do bad stuff. Sure. We don't deny that. Sometimes they're 
Americans, though. The question the is who's behind them? Yeah. Who are the people? Who are the kingpins funding them? And so you can you can raise all sorts of cane about that people bomb this or bomb that, and it's terrible and it should be stopped. But until you get to the kingpins who are bankrolling the terrorists, no, nothing's going to be solved until you get the guys who are really pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. You know, you could stop, you know, local gambling on the street corner and all this other kind of stuff, protection things, but until you get the, the mafia don at the top, it's going to keep on going. And and we're not treating that mm-hmm. with, with terrorism because we'd have to look in the mirror as a country to find that. You want some uh, email? Yeah, hit us with let's, some email, bro. Let's go some email here, okay? Um, this is from uh, Sister Laura, okay? This is about Elijah Friedman. Uh, she says, hello, Dr. Future. Just a quick note about homeschool and the environment Elijah grew up in. Okay, remember Elijah Friedman yeah. on our show, okay? And uh, some of his thoughts about the worldview and politics. She says, the ac- curriculum available for mathematics... Creation science, English, and literature is excellent and top quality. That's in homeschooling, okay. But the curriculum available for history is very poor. The rah-rah America textbooks are no better than the secular text public schools use. The misinformation is the same. Sad because many of the same of the source documents are available. Instead of reading a textbook with a few pages about the Constitution... A high school student should be reading the Constitution itself, alongside the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. Then mm-hmm. one could easily see how Ron Paul is right in line with the Constitution, while Huckabee is off the page. Very interesting. If Elijah's family used any of the traditional Christi- Christi- uh, Christian history curriculums, it's no surprise why he has the views he has. Mm. I homeschool my children, but will not use any of the history curriculum available. Why pull them out of the indoctrination only to fill their minds with the same kind of lies? Interesting. Very good email. And that's why I keep leaning on Robert Hyde to write a history text for homeschool community. He's been involved in homeschool as well as regular Christian schools. He teaches history fantastically, by, I might add, mm-hmm. from when I was his student. I think he would be excellent for that. So. One of our future quake occasional guests. Um, okay, this is um, from Brother Clay, talking about regarding Bin Laden. He says, Dr. Future and Tom, he says, I want to send you a quick note by saying what a blessing your ministry has been to me while I've been on the road. It's not easy getting a real picture of what's going on around us when one spends her days behind the wheel and night sleeping in strange places. And you can imagine that, too. You know how unsettling yeah, that is. I know exactly what he's talking about. As you've heard, the announcement has been made that Osama bin Laden is dead. This is just this came in early May. Mm-hmm. He says it seems I am one of only a handful of people I know who has a real problem with the celebration of his death, whether it be real or a convenient distraction. I'm pretty sure I know where the two of you stand, and I have to wonder: Are you two going through the same thing? I even had a missionary fr- missionary friend of mine tell me that I was way outside of her thinking when I referred to our government as Luciferian. Does this mean I'm crazy? What do you think? Does that mean? No. Say no, okay. Well, Clay, we, you and I agree that unless we're just both crazy too, so you can join us. But yeah. Pro- join us in the funny farm. Proverbs 24, 17, and 18 says, We are not to celebrate the deaths of our enemies. Isn't this exactly what's going on around the nation? I feel totally sickened by the celebration of death as well as the complete willingness of the vast majority to believe this 
heaping bowl of gripe served up by the government and distributed by the news media. Am I out of line on my thinking and expression? Mm. Thanks for all you do. Love in Christ, Clay. And uh, I responded to Clay, and I said, yep, we agree with you. And a lot of times that gets us on the outs with our Christian friends, too. And uh, he says, Dr. Future, thanks for responding. You have no idea what it is or what it or your ministry means to me. The two of you, along with your guest, have made a dramatic difference in the way I carry on in my walk. And, and Brother mm-hmm. Clay, I can tell you, that's what's the shot in the arm that keeps us going is when we hear you, you know, friends like you say stuff like that. He says, I have a question for both of you, which may be addressed on air or otherwise if you choose. The last few nights I've had, been having weird dreams. I don't always remember them, but the last two nights really stood out. First, I dreamt of a military base of some kind that I was trying to deliver to, but some kind of retail strip mall that was preventing me from seeing anything. All the while, people around me were being plucked from my reality. Last night, Mm -hmm. I dreamt I had an overweight load and a broken truck, so I had to leave the truck and drag the trailer around by myself. Sounds like my my afternoon. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Mrs. Future had a dream like that, too. Yeah. Uh, everywhere I tried to drag this trailer, I was being obstructed and discouraged, often by people who seemed to genuinely be trying to help. Finally, the dream ended when the sun was shining on my face, but in the fading moment of sleep, I clearly saw an owl of gold between myself and the sun, par- partially blocking the light. Hmm. I'm not sure what any of this means, but it seems pretty symbolic to me, and I was hoping to get your take as well as Tom's. Love in Christ. You got any ideas? No. None at all? Usually I'm pretty good at that, but... Oh, you're, you're under the weather, so we're yeah. not going not to pressure you. You know what I will say? My head is starting to feel pretty good now. I'm getting... Good, good. Well... Better. I'll mention some things off the top of my head, Brother Clay. Um, you know, you're going to a military base, of which we've all talked, if you listen to Future Quake... We we presume that at different different places strange things are going on, okay? But but he said a retail strip mall was preventing me from seeing anything, and so what I would suggest is that something about our consumer commercial culture is a front for something going on with the military pulling the strings behind it, almost like how we have those uh, rendition sites where they pick up people and take them out, and they have these fake FBI companies that do mm-hmm. it. But there's something either about specific commercial ventures that are a front for military ops or the whole fact that our our whole commercial industry in our country, much of it is funded by the Defense Department one way or the other. But somehow they're being a, a, a block. I will mention that when I worked in the military, I went to go work on one of these military helicopters and, and go to their office. And most of them are all on military bases where you go, where it's managed and sure. done. This one was out in the middle of a commercial area in a strip mall. Wow. And it was right in a strip mall, and you went to the strip mall, and all of a sudden, here was an office where all these classified contractors were working on some top-secret vehicle. Isn't that weird? Well, you know, I always... It's funny you mention that. I've always been sort of, uh, even as a young kid, really not into conspiracies or anything, kind of always kept an eye on... um, like military equipment and stuff, just because mm-hmm. I thought it was cool, you know. Yeah. You know, they have this thing called the stealth ship, right, where they took the, the technology of the stealth bomber mm-hmm. and, you know, did use that along with some other stuff to make it. It's got it. all sorts of weird angles, facets on it and stuff like yeah, the stealth they, fighter. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of this catamaran that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, undetectable by radar, and you can't really see it until you're about a mile away from it. Yeah. Really, really low profile and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
that whole thing was built in a commercial park right near the water in Redwood City. Really? Like, yeah, like if I had a yeah. if I had a really good arm, I could yeah. probably hit the place where it was built hmm. uh from the freeway. Hmm. And if I if I if I got up on a chair on the roof of my grandma's house, could almost see the building it was built in. And uh, huh. you know, didn't even know any of that was there. You yeah. Know? You wouldn't want to hit the low observable material on it. You might damage it and and then it'd be detectable by Well, radar. if any of that stuff gets airborne, it causes cancer. So Yeah. Um, but anyway, where he says about the overweight load in a broken truck where he was hauling it, I'm thinking probably, you're, uh, Clay, you're probably feeling overwhelmed about the responsibility the information you have now. And you're feeling like you're having to haul it around yourself and there's nothing there to help you mm-hmm. deal with the information that you've got to take to other people. And uh, that's why you're being obstructed and discouraged. And it says even the people who were trying to help somehow got in your way. And I think a lot of times that's what Christian people can do or even family members who think maybe you've gone overboard and looking at things. Anybody, any of us. And they try to help you, but really they, they, they get in your way of getting to the, the answers that you're looking for. Um, but then it says even though the sun was shining, so we got things that are, you know, feeling good. But as he fades off to sleep, he sees an owl of gold between himself and the sun. And I, I tend to think of owls as like hidden knowledge from secret societies. What about you? I see them as delicious treats. Oh, do you? You're the, you like the owl popsicles? Yeah. But uh, I, I would say maybe what, what you were being told there, even though you saw the shining, shining sun, was that there is yet more information that you will find is being kept from you and from the rest of us. Mm-hmm. That there's more to discover, more Plenty. to get through. And uh, I have no gift in that. That was just my first thoughts, Brother Clay. So if any of our Futurians have an idea on Clay's dream, let us know. Uh, This is, if you can tolerate a couple more here. This is Brother Tim, somebody you know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Brother Tim uh, uh, says, Dr. Future. And this is Tim, and I believe this is Tim that does uh, the Tim and Mike show. Okay. Who uh, covered our NRB uh, time, mm-hmm. prayer time. Uh, have a mom. popular show. Yeah, had on, a mom recently as well. Yeah. And uh, is it Blog Talk Radio or Talk Shoe? Oh, I think it's Talk Shoe. Talk Shoe. Yeah. Um, but also, I think we can say this too. Isn't he co-hosting a new show now with Andrew Hoffman? Well, I don't know if we can say that officially because they're, they're working on it. Okay. Well, we'll see if that happens. Unofficially, we can say that. Okay. So just forget what we said, but... Anyway, he says, uh, his subject again, this is one of the key ones to get read on Future Quake. He says, I love Future Quake. He says, Dr. Future, let me start off by saying that it's really great to see you and Tom at the Politics of Religion Conference. The Lord really moved on our humble group of people, and for that I'm thankful. Uh, I love that it ended with baptisms. Last year at the Last Days Conference, I was baptized, and this year was no different. It's like Tom said at the POR conference. Even if you do not agree with everything that was said in the whole two days, you cannot deny that the Lord was moving because people were getting baptized. So true, not to mention that this year two people were saved as well. A few weeks ago, you read a listener email from Bill, who said that at the beginning he was a little confused about the ayahuasca episode. What you may not have known as you read that email, that Bill was at the POR conference and was the guy that Chris White baptized at the end. Awesome. 
to make matters even humorous, there was a video out there of Bill, Mike, my co-host, and I talking about that episode. It is kind of behind-the-scenes footage of the Politics of Religion conference, and it is funny. Anyway, I just wanted to connect the dots for you on that one, uh, and then he put a link to the video. Uh, if you go, to, I just looked it up, if you go to YouTube and you type up the Politics of Religion, I think maybe Politics Religion Conference, mm-hmm. you'll see a video, and it shows them riding on the road and their experience. And I think at the end of it, they're all sitting in a bedroom in the wee hours of the night, half asleep, mm-hmm. debating the Politics Religion Conference. And what I saw was pretty humorous. So if yeah, you get a chance to check it out. Uh, so you watched it? I did. Yeah. It took me like ten times because my Internet connection was so slow. Oh, okay. Uh, he said, I just want to drop a line and say hello. You are a really great example of a Christian. To be honest, you have helped me to understand what it means to be truly humble, and I consider you a great friend. I also wanted you to know that you guys are doing a fabulous job. And by the way, Tim and Mike are too, aren't they? Yeah, I enjoy their show. They're impacting people. And it's an honor to see you guys at the conference. Keep on keeping on, brother. Like Tom says, keep keep kicking Satan where it hurts. There you go. People are listening to you out there, brother. Yeah, I know. You know what's funny? At the... um, at the uh, the future Congress, I was I was sitting with some some new brothers in the Lord, uh, sitting at lunch, and you know we prayed over the food and got done, and I took a bite of my sandwich, and this guy who I had just met that weekend starts yeah. going, Heresy Hunter, Heresy Hunter, <laughs> yeah yeah, and then the guy sitting next to us, another guy <laughs> says, oh, You're only going to hear that in Jesus culture. <laughs> Jesus USA. Yeah. Uh, like, people are listening to us out there. That's I pretty know. scary, isn't it? That's it's very scary. If they, if they hear that before we put them to sleep. Um, well, let's let's give two more to wrap up around third base and head for mm-hmm. home here. This is Sister Catherine. Emails. She says, Dear Dr. Future, thank you for your letter. Um, she says, uh, I am at this moment. Uh, she says, You can use my letter at any time. She says, I am at this moment. Sending the website, Elliot Nesh and the Sycamore 911 documentary to all my family. And oh, wow. Sure, isn't that an awesome one, too? Yeah. I think that was one of the coolest shows we did. Well, I tell you, it definitely had one of the most intense intros. Mm-hmm. Let's see, I led a wicked and depraved existence. I think yeah. that's how he first and he introduced himself. And he was like, himself. yeah, yeah, and TV was my god, and movies yeah. were my idol, and then I... While I was hiding out, trying to escape from a, the Mexican mafia and a drug deal gone bad... You know, I saw God lifted up on high or something like that. I may, mm-hmm. I may have it wrong, but that was basically the thing. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> we may have to tell Joe Bob Briggs back again. He was sort of boring on his intro yeah. compared to Brother Elliot. Yeah. Um, but that was a great show. And it, and she says, uh, I'm sharing the Future Quake show where he was a guest as well as the Constance Cubby program with a neighbor for her small group and the pastor at Candlelight. Whew, there's no telling who, what people listen to our show. Show, no telling what they what they think about it. We, you know? One of our friends, their their son who listens to our show, goes to Christian school and has had actual uh, science fair stuff and things based on future quake material. Wow. I think that's really cool. MK Ultra or something? No, not MK Ultra. I'm going to need a be, volunteer. You could get an A for sure. You know, if you I'm use the student. I'm going to need a volunteer here. Uh, it says, "I'm sending you an attachment, which I think you'll be interesting." Me uh, anyway. It goes on. It says, "Your programming guests have taught me so much." And I've been sharing with my children information I was not able to when they were growing up. My four older boys are all in their 20s, and I have an 8-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. I've even set each boy down and said very honestly I love them 
and I want to see them in heaven, and to please let me share with what I'm learning about our world and the Messiah. I want you them to know Jesus Christ. Wow, that's cool. Isn't that cool? You know, we had, I, I hate to keep, all of these things are bringing things up from the Politics of Religion yeah. Conference. Yeah. Uh, there was a real sweet group of, uh, like a family, I think of five, mm-hmm. that I saw, and I, you know, got to meet them and stuff and hang out and talk with them a little bit. And they said, you know, what was funny is, I w- they were there, I think, for the baptism, one of the baptisms. We had yeah. a couple of baptisms, different yeah. times of the day. And uh, they were there for one of them, and... Um, they were they were razzing me about getting into the pool. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not baptizing anybody. Nobody asked me, and I'm wearing a suit. And they said, oh, that chlorine's good for you, just like fluoride. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and like the kid said something like, yeah, it makes my head really big or something. So it was obvious that like the whole family was into this, uh-huh. like you know, fluoride is bad and all of this right. stuff. So it was like totally and possibly corrupted bias. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, the family that listens to Future Quake together stays together. Yeah, I've heard that's it probably said. true. Um, so anyway, uh, sister sister Catherine, which by the way, I'm so glad that she's taken this hands on effort with her kids mm-hmm. to help them know things that most people their age or older than them don't know. She says, I have to say the Future Quake has to be my favorite destination of information. Thank you and Tom for the time you put in. I check it all the time, and it's o- and I always find something new in the archives to download. Pretty soon I'll have them all in there. Kindest regards. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which I do, Yeah. and everybody who lives there of every type in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, last one for this week. Okay. This is from Dave M. Okay. And... Uh, Dave M. says, Dear Dr. Future, it's time to get rid of that lunatic guy that sits over at the other side of the thing and has nothing to contribute. No, that's the other stack of emails. Yeah, that's, that's, I haven't that's gotten the big stack. stack. Yeah. yeah. It says, uh, this is from Dave. It says, Ciao, Dr. Future and Tom. I'm a Bible-believing, non-denominational Christian American writing from near Venice, Italy. Sweet. And one of our large number of Venice people. Venetians? Yeah. I haven't re- I didn't read this last week, did I? I don't, I don't believe so. I did. Uh, he says, I've been a listener for a couple months now since your presentation on Chris White's show regarding sorcery and drugs and opening the last day spirit portal. I was absolutely amazed at the content of your presentation because I've only recently started to study the occult, so you definitely piqued my interest. I've been awake to the NWO since 2007 when my friend told me that supposedly there were explosives in the Twin Towers. Unlike most, I actually went to look up what he was talking about, and it's been a crazy journey since. I'm sure that most people must have strong faith in Jesus Christ when they discover the various topics in the truth movement in order to withstand the psychological trauma and spiritual attacks from films like Zeitgeist and people like David Icke, or they will definitely be deceived. And that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's where they try to go, that seduction, when you sort of have your cage rattled of your worldview Mm -hmm. and do that. And thank goodness there's people like Chris White and others He'll stop that. Yeah. And, he's and my hero. He yeah. really is. He's a cool guy. There's yeah. a bunch of cool guy heroes out there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's a big one. But, you know, everybody pray for Alex Jones that he doesn't allow people like David Icke and others to seduce people mm-hmm. being on the show and stuff. Uh, it says it was a tremendous relief to find your radio show because you're real Bible-believing Christians that are awake to what is really going on in this world. And you provide really interesting information and interviews with thought-provoking guests. I still have many archives to go through, but so far each one is even better than the rest. 
I also share your point of view that we should bring non-believers to Christ through intelligent discussion rather than by offending and forcing them. Which is still the prevailing view in the Christian community here is we should offend and force them, right? Yeah. And and I marvel why that's not you know, real successful. I was I I was I was uh, entertained and horrified at the same time where at the <laughs> at the the the, the conference um, uh, this young kid had taken a couple of other kids and forced them into like a broom closet and was leaning up against it and they were going help let us out let us out and he was going not until you repent and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You saw this at this conference? Yeah. And I looked at that and I was like, what? And uh, the kids were like, no, let us out. Let it, we just <laughs> you are play. kidding me. You and didn't tell me like, about no, this. No, you're going to hell. You need to get to get saved. And they were like playing. I watched for a couple of minutes. Was this like on one, on one of the room floors or down where the... No, it was downstairs. Where the conference was. Down, down where the conference was. It was so busy uh, that I think everybody else missed it. In all those long hours we logged in the future mobile coming back, I never remember you mentioning that. But, oh, it's because man, I was so lost in my own nonsense. That That is such a perfect metaphor for how our American church works with people. The old closet we push them in and won't let them out. I mean, isn't that... In some cases... That's the dominionism movement in a nutshell Yeah, right in there. some cases. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of people who don't get saved like that, you know? No, well, what I'm saying is how ineffective it is. Oh, yeah. I'm saying it's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. It's horrible and it's ridiculous. I mean, it's Christianity at its worst, but that's what dominionism is all about. And mm -hmm. most of our techniques, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why are we not having more success in conversions from people we berate and, you know... This guy literally didn't want people coming out of the closet, you know. No, he sure didn't. He had all his wow. little friends stuffed in the closet. Well, let this be a message to any of our listeners who don't happen to know this: putting people in the closet and not letting them out until they have some kind of spiritual attribute to them probably is not a good technique, even if you're just doing it metaphorically. So, you know, yeah, he, I had to admire. I had to admire the kids, like. Uh, want to save people because i after i watched him mm -hmm. for a little while i didn't feel like yeah i didn't i didn't feel like he was doing it just to like you know yeah. win, the, win the game he really wanted something for their betterment yeah he had a sincere concern for him he just didn't how successful was it going though oh zero yeah 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 and that's the tragedy of it you know he had good intentions yeah uh, anyway uh, he says obviously in order this back to our friend dave here in venice Obviously, in order to do this, one must have a general idea of what people of other religions believe. In the case of Islam, most non-Muslims... Now, this is a person who lives in another part of the world mm -hmm. where he's going to interact more with Muslims than most of us, okay? Sure. He says, in the case of Islam, most non-Muslims don't realize that they believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the Virgin Mary, and that he ascended into heaven. Okay? Most non-Muslims don't realize that Muslims believe that. Yeah. However, as you probably know... They don't, they being Muslims, don't believe that he died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected. Also, many people don't know how to intelligently respond to a Muslim that claims that the Bible has been corrupted, nor would they have any idea what exactly the Muslim would be referring to. And uh, he says, uh, also, uh, from my studies, I've come to conclude that any religion that claims that you don't have to rely on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and God's grace for your salvation and that the Bible isn't the only source of God's word, is a false religion, a distraction, an illusion. Obviously, I use this for my own protection, to keep myself from following the wrong crowd, 
and not as a starting point in conversations with non-believers. Uh, much more tact needs to be used, exclamation. I think he's saying this very well. I mean, he's right on board with me, uh, Brother Dave. Um, that's where I circle the wagons, too, around Jesus you know, substitutionary atonement, dying on the cross for our sins, we cannot get into heaven on our own merit. That is the key, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. Christianity. Yeah. Where we, we really have to look at it. And really, the, the Bible is the only authoritative source that says whether that fact is true or not. So if you give up the Bible, you give up the ability for us to nail down something on what reality is. So I'm right. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm with you, brother, that that beating people over the head that are non-Christians to it. It's really more of a defensive posture to keep yourself from getting out of line rather than hitting other people, at least initially. And uh, he says, uh, he's mentioned several things. He says, and now uh, we have an emerging threat from a united one world New Age religion where prominent religious people are declaring that we all worship the same God. Of course, we've had, you know, George W. Bush. We've had uh, uh, Billy Graham. Now we have Tony Blair and others saying that. Uh, he says, so it's really refreshing to hear your radio show. Two guys who can connect the dots from many various issues, see through the deception, and ask questions and make you think, all from a real Christian perspective. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, if you, uh, you know, if you'd like to share the email on your show. And um, he had one other little quick comment I wanted to share with you. He said. Uh, um, he said a little bit more about myself. I'm 29, self-employed, developed software for clients in the U.S. and U.K. He says, for example, uh, he, he grew up all over uh, England, Germany, Turkey, uh, near Tarsus. Uh, and he says, for example, wow. yeah. And he says, uh, for example, living in Turkey proved to me that Muslims aren't evil people that hate non-Muslims. Quite the contrary. Now, he's going to tell us the same thing that that our own Christian missionaries tell us, okay? Mm-hmm. He says, the Turks were very friendly with me and my family. We're African-American. Even those that weren't trying to sell us anything. Merhaba Abi means hello, brother. And that's how they greeted everyone, including foreigners, Muslim or not. Now, compare that with the racist, cold, and supposedly Christian people back in Europe that would rudely stare at us and not even respond to our salutations. Yep. All right, buddy. He says, I, I sincerely hope to find some Futurians in this area, too. Uh, although it's probably a tall order, considering most Italians in this region only speak Italian or their local dialect. But perhaps there are some other expatriate Futurians nearby. Ciao, David. Yeah, calling all Italian Futurians. Please, any of you. You know, we found two people in Cape Town, okay, Brother Dion and Sister Audra. And now what happened? They've got their own show now starting, yeah. Future Quake Show. So uh, things could happen in Venice, too. Mm-hmm. Brother Dave is on the ball. Sounds like he's got his act together. And that is a good way to end the show yep. with somebody who's probably got their act together better than us. A lot more than me. That's for darn sure. And, uh, Dave, we like hanging out with you every week. We hope it's uh, not too much of a drag for you coming here. Um, we know this was sort of a different kind of interview with uh, Brother John Bloom. As an understatement. And, uh, but you know what? Um, it, I think it was good that we met each other. And you never know what might be happening in his Christian walk as well as ours and new opportunities that happen from that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, one other thing. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E 
at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Almost forgot that. Any last words, Brother Tom? No. All right. Hope you get feeling better, Tom. Yeah. And everything else. And let us know how this prayer went. Keep praying for Brother Tom on the work front, on other direction front, and even keeping his vehicle together. It's, he's been taking the tough ride uh, lately. My car fell apart in the middle of the street today. And you I had, had to go and get... I got it. I got it to a parking lot. Then realized it was an easy fix if I had the right tools. So I walked to Sears, bought the tools, put it back together, and then walked back or drove back to Sears and then returned the tools. <laughs> I don't know if I'd share it if I was you. Oh uh, yeah. Well, our co-host uh, Pyro is whining for us to yeah. knock it off, and so are our listeners. So uh, you can hear him whining yeah, down there. Yeah, he's freaking out. Ladies and gentlemen, we sure hope you enjoyed this future quake. Uh, drop us an email, and until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake. quake.